Oh, Superhorse, I don't know your name or where you came from, but you came along just in time to save me from the kryptonite rays of those enemy aliens. Imagine it, a magnificent stallion appearing out of nowhere to flash across the sky at super speed, whose silken hide is invulnerable to the deadliest of weapons. Impossible, you say? No such superhorse exists? Yet these are the powers of the fantastic steed, fated to be Supergirl's companion, as she battles against the forces of crime and evil. Even Supergirl herself is baffled by the mystery of the Super Steed of Steel. Welcome back to episode 12 of Supergirl Power Hour, where we will be taking you through the last part of 1962 in the stories of the Maid of Might. I am Corey, and with me as always is my dashing co-host, James. Horse noise. Thank you, Corey. You're welcome, James. We are getting to the introduction of yet another one of Supergirl's longtime supporting cast members, and maybe another one to terrify our sometimes co-host, Alex Koch. Ooh, yes, this is our all-comet the superhorse spectacular. No, no, horse-tacular. Corey, I want you to go down to the patent office. I want ten cents every time somebody says it. Our first issue this month is Action Comics number 292, published in September of 1962. Written by Leo Dorfman, art by Jim Mooney, and the title of the story is Supergirl's Steed of Steel. So we open with the Danvers family driving their convertible on the way to go see a movie when they are inconvenienced by a bridge under repair. But Kara is like, you know what? What is the point of having all these superpowers if I can't take advantage of them once in a while and be greedy? She goes off panel, changes into her Supergirl outfit, and flies her parents across the broken down bridge. Forget superpowers at that point. What's the point of having a car? <laughs> uh, Papa needs to go to work, Supergirl. <sighs> okay, Father. Whoosh! And then she gets back into her Linda Danvers outfit, and they go watch their movie, which is a western. Which must be considerably less thrilling than their trip over there. Watching this western makes Kara long for a horse of her own, and as she is going to bed, Linda starts dreaming about aliens attacking Metropolis. As she often does. So she goes to defeat the aliens, and they have their spaceship lined with lead so she can't see through it so she just plows through it with super speed and strength right into a oh my god they're shooting rays up surprise kryptonite (laughs) and the kryptonite weakens her and she starts falling to her doom and we see what looked to be tomar rays race of orange-skinned finned alien bird dudes Oh, no, do not insult Tomar Ray like this. This is like Tomar Ray if he had a disease. I think it's just an older member of his race, James. It's all wrinkly and weird. 
And as she's falling, a white horse is flying through the air at her out of nowhere. And he catches her on his back, then goes to attack the aliens and kicks them into space. No, space is their favorite place. So as Linda is dreaming, she notices that the white horse has a comet-shaped birthmark on his back. If I had to say anything, I would say jellyfish, but space stuff, so yeah, comet. And Linda wakes up and is very happy about her dream, although... Her sleeping position leaves a lot to be desired. She's, like, rubbing the side of her face with the back of her hand upside down. It's like, Kara, no! Like, I am trying to get my arm into that position, and it just doesn't work. Like, was the dream so intense she dislocated her arm? It's like, oh, I don't even feel pain anymore. The next evening, they're doing homework, her and her non-special boyfriend, Dick Malburn, and uh, all she can think about is the horse of her dreams, also known as her stallion, Comet. And I have to say, how much of a milk toast do you have to be that your girlfriend is thinking about the horse she would rather be with? Now, now, the romance doesn't come until later, James. So, Linda goes to bed that night and has another dream, this time... She is in a play about the Witches of Salem and is getting locked in the stocks. Which must bring back so many fond memories of the time she terrorized a Puritan village as a pagan witch goddess. Check out Supergirl Power Hour, episode, past. (laughs) And just when she gets locked in the stocks, she hears about a sinking oil tanker. Why, that's not period appropriate at all. And she gets frustrated because she can't go rescue it because she's in the middle of her play. And Superman is off some other time or location because that's what he does. Hanging with his side, girls. Suddenly, Comet the Super Horse saves the sunken ship. And everybody gives credit to either Superman or Supergirl because nobody saw the horse drag it out of the water. Linda wakes up again, thinking again about her super stallion. And sees Streaky floating around her room playing with a bottle of string and is just having none of it. Because her neighbors might see the flying cat and be absolutely terrified that there's a cat that can fly. Well, then she, like, just pets him while once again fantasizing about her dream horse and asking Streaky why he can't be more like Comet the Super Horse. And I have to say, if you are just so lousy with super pets that you've gotten tired of your flying super cat, then I... You need to evaluate your life a little bit, Linda. Some girls can only afford one super pet, Linda. Why do you think the Flash has that super turtle? So, Linda goes to bed again that night, cuddling with Streaky and thinking about how maybe if she concentrates on Streaky before bed, she won't dream of Super Horse. Sure enough, though, as she starts dreaming, she does dream of Streaky and Crypto. All right, so I've got your bone. Let's see you catch me, you canine creep. Take my bone, will you? Just wait. And Streaky has a bone in his mouth and is flying away from Crypto. And they fly so fast that they break the time barrier (laughs) and fly to Japan in the year of 1942. Oh, this is going to end with the Nazis winning World War II, isn't it? Thanks, Streaky. Or actually, Hawaii 1942. My bad. Because as they find out that they have gone back in time... They see a ship outside of Pearl Harbor, and it is an American Mercy ship 
for hospital use, and a Japanese kamikaze suicide pilot is gunning right for them. Just then, out of the clear blue sky comes Comet, who hurls himself between the kamikaze and the ship as it collides into his unbreakable hide. And then Comet leads the other two super pets back into 1962. So, James, you're probably right, because Comet <laughs> stopped Pearl Harbor, so the Americans never got into World War II, and the Nazis won. <laughs> Why do I just imagine an old Superman cover of just him in his King Superman hat and throne? The Superman in the High Castle. Superman, you're a Nazi sympathizer? Not a dream, an imaginary hoax. Luckily, this was just a dream, and that night at dinner... Linda's parents talk about how they have a vacation coming up that they will take when her school has a week-long break, and Linda recommends that they go to the Supergirl Dude Ranch in the Sierra Mountains, named after her because she saved the owner's livestock during a flood once, uh, back when California had water. Ha 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 ouch. They head off to the Dude Ranch, and they come across what they call a statue. <laughs> But it's clearly just a sign. Now, we, we talked about this earlier. You could still make the argument that a sign is just a flat statue. So, uh, do I get a no prize for that? No, because we're in the wrong company, James. No prizes. We're a Marvel thing. For DC, you just got an old used cigar from Mort Weisinger and a veiled threat. <laughs> so, Linda and her parents get to the ranch, where they meet a nice young man by the name of Mace Greed. That's Greed with an E, so nobody gets suspicious. Well, actually, Greed with three E's, because oh, Greed already has two. The extra E is for not evil. And he has ran that old Coot Pot Hadley out of business. Yes, he actually uses the word Coot. And has now taken over the Supergirl Dude Ranch, where I guess he's just uh, squeezing every last dollar he can out of that Dude Ranch. Like, he is riding that Dude Ranch all the way to the bank. As he takes them to visit the horses, Linda recognizes one of them. It is a white stallion that looks exactly like her dream horse. And he is unruly and has never let anybody ride him. Until... He locks eyes with Linda Danvers. And she is able to throw a saddle on him and able to mount him and takes off with him like a bolt of lightning. Whoa. And as he outruns every other horse in the herd, she tells him to stop because there's a barbed wire fence in their way. But Comet doesn't listen and just runs through the barbed wire and then jumps over a chasm and takes her to the quote-unquote statue <laughs> and seeing that as a sign that comet is telling her that he knows that she's supergirl and that she knows he knows that she's supergirl she takes the cape off of the <laughs> off of the sign because it was clearly a real cape <laughs> and puts it on him that real cape attached to that statue that is actually a sign <laughs> And He's got may greed, may be greedy, but he knows where to throw money for production values. Onto a cape on a statue that is clearly a flat sign. Can we talk for just a second about the fact that 
Greed is running just one of the worst cons I have ever seen with this Supergirl dude ranch. Because I'm a little kid in the late 60s. I'm really terrified of communists. And I go to the Supergirl dude ranch to alleviate my fears. I see the sign slash statue with a cape outside that says Supergirl dude ranch. I'm going to think Supergirl is going to be there. And I'm going to be riding horses with Supergirl. Because, like, the ranch isn't even Supergirl-themed. It's just a dude ranch with a sign statue, cape. And this this makes Mace Greed a Lex Luthor-level shyster, in my estimation. So, sure enough, Comet flies them back to the dude ranch, and somewhere along the way, Supergirl ditches his cape because he can't be seen with it. Then I'd have to kill everybody. The issue ends with Supergirl knowing that her super horse is real and asking questions about what his deal is and a see the next issue box for the thrilling origin of Comet the Super Steed. And as we can see from the advertisement at the bottom of the page, this baffling space-time conundrum is brought to us by Tootsie Pop, the only pop that mocks the laws of God by having a Tootsie Roll at the center where no human hands could possibly have reached. But before we get to Super Horse's origin, we have a guest appearance in the last days of Superman. Boo, Superman. <laughs> Although I am a big fan of the title. So this story was in Superman number 156 from October of 1962, written by Edmund Hamilton, art by Kurt Swan with inks by George Klein, and the cover is by Swan and Klein as well. And the cover is a joyous occasion. Oh, and this is vintage Kurt Swan weird. Is Superman in the middle of a desert, as we can see from the establishing cactus, encased in glass with a little speaker box, holding his last will and testament, surrounded by tiny men, with Supergirl and Crypto coming to save him, as he bids them through the microphone, No! You must not! All in all, the last days Superman truly deserved. And the issue opens with yet another glorious, <laughs> weird Superman splash page, which is Superman's unconscious body being carried to the fortress by an army of tiny men. It's like Gulliver's Travels. I have to say, Corey, whenever... I'm sorry. If I die, this is exactly what I want my funeral procession to be. Carried to my grave by tiny men and speedos. Okay. I'm counting on you, Corey. So, the actual story opens up with a space capsule in orbit, and it comes across a weird glowing green thing. So... Jimmy decides to call Superman to try to prevent the astronaut from dying. Superman, there's something weird in the sky, get it. But Superman is in fact right next to him because Clark Kent is also right there. So he ducks into a supply closet and changes into his Superman costume and prevents the capsule from crashing into the green thingamabobber. Corey, let's call it what it is. It's a green glowing baby casket. And... Because everything that is green and glowing in a Superman book is... Surprise, Kryptonite! Superman has to throw a rocket booster at it to knock it out of the way because he can't get close enough to do it himself. And Jimmy Olsen shows up at the crash site of the green baby casket. And because it's Jimmy Olsen, his first thought is to run up to it and try to open it up. 
and to warn Superman that it's kryptonite like Superman doesn't already f***ing know. <laughs> Superman, Superman, I'm just an amateur, but I think this glowing green thing for space might be kryptonite. Let's take a look. Oh, no! And sure enough, when he opens it, it's got text on it in Kryptonian, which reads, This box contains samples of Virus X, a contagion fatal in 30 days to any native of Krypton. Uh-oh, the wind is blowing the deadly germs in it straight towards me. Jimmy, close the lid! As we all predicted, Jimmy Olsen's hillbilly shenanigans have finally cost him the life of his dearest friend. So Superman grabs a boulder and chucks it at the green baby casket. Which, in a panel I love, because it just looks like he's revenge-killing Jimmy in that instant. <laughs> because if Superman got tired of Jimmy's shit, it would be just like that. Well, time to die. Superman immediately feels strange and dizzy and weak, and realizes that the virus X has affected him. And then he uses his superpower of total memory recall <laughs> to remember when he was an infant on Krypton, and his dad was talking to the scientist who wanted to cure virus X. My, my, if things are that bad, we may need to get our asses to Mars. Superman decides he's going to head off to be alone, but not before Jimmy Olsen gets him a doctor appointment with the finest doctor in all of Metropolis, and has summoned Superman's best friends, Lois Lane, Lana Lang, and Perry White. So, his ex-girlfriend, his current girlfriend, and his boss. Superman's greatest friends. I've never felt sadder for a fictional character. So the doctor tells all of these people that Superman will be dead in 30 days, and Lois and Lana are able to find comfort through each other in that they will both be widows. And uh, Superman goes off to brood on a mountaintop. And then All-Star Superman happens in its entirety. And then he flies to the Fortress of Solitude and is barely able to open the door with his giant key. <laughs> if the, we have proved nothing in the 11 episodes of this show, it is that the golden key to the Fortress of Solitude is a bad idea. So he spends a day uh, wandering around all of his trophies and thinking about all the things he hasn't been able to do yet, like grow the bottle city of Kandor back to its normal size. And then he goes to Supergirl's room and talks about how he must not let her know that he is dying because she would try to help him and catch Virus X. So he decides to tell Perry White not to print this new story of the Millennium. And Perry White, being the horrible journalist that he is, agrees to not print it. Now, Superman, maybe if this were the 1930s, it would matter that you're dying. But it's not. No one stays a hero forever. I mean, look at you, you're dying. So Superman starts doing the things on his bucket list, like digging giant canals for irrigation in the desert. <laughs> Silver Age Superman was very concerned with our nation's infrastructure. Just like each and every American citizen should be today. As he is digging out irrigation ditches with a giant shovel, Jimmy Olsen gets near him and suddenly the virus takes hold and he collapses. And so he summons his Superman robots to help him dig the ditches and burn through the witches, like Dragula. I'm just going to let that sit there, Corey. <laughs> And he also has them build him the glass 
isolation case that we saw at the beginning of the issue. I need you to contain how wonderful I am. And Jimmy Olsen lets them build the glass isolation case around him as well, so he will die with his best friend. <laughs> it's okay, Superman. You get to spend your last hours on this earth looking at me. Hey, have I told you all my knock-knock jokes? Knock-knock. Superman. Knock-knock, Superman. I'm supposed to say who's there. Superman? And then there is some sunspot activity, so they have the robots have to fly back to their hiding spot and can't finish digging the ditches. Which leads to one of the saddest panels I've ever seen in a comic book. What irony. Just when I need my robots most, cruel fate makes them fail me. As Superman is just bathed in desert sun, looking emaciated and defeated. And that's when Supergirl shows up and asks about the lead glass booth, because not only is it glass, but it's lead glass. Because that's a thing that exists. Superman's goddamn alchemy. <laughs> and Superman shows Supergirl his last will and testament, and she decides to take care of his bucket list before he dies. So she recruits Crypto and the Superman Emergency Squad of Kandor and the Legion of Superheroes. Yes, this issue ends with Supergirl going to the future to inform the future that Superman is dying in the past. And their reaction is, Oh, God, we've got to hurry! Time travel, everybody. So the next part of the story opens with all of the aforementioned heroes flying through town in a parade. <laughs> and some random bystander going, Look, it's Supergirl leading a parade of super beings. What are they up to? And where is the greatest hero of them all? Superman! What I want to know is where's the damn Justice League during all of this? It's like, what does Aquaman have to do? He's too busy to visit Superman in the hospital. I'm sorry, Clark, there was all of this ocean to deal with. Well, James, Superman's hospital is in the middle of the desert. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a bad place for Aquaman to go visit. That's always his excuse. Not enough ocean. So Superman has gotten out of his isolation chamber, but decides he must get himself back in before Supergirl shows up because he doesn't want to infect her. Oh, Superman, you're back. You're just in time. I thought some more knock-knock jokes. Superman? No, Jimmy. And then he burns his father's dead present. <laughs> so Crypto has teamed up with Lori the Mermaid, and the Superman Emergency Squad has entered their rocket ship to get themselves out of the Bottle City, and the Legion of Superheroes is going back to the past, all except for Brainiac 5, who for some unknown reason is staying in the future. But Mort Weisinger thinks that he has ulterior motives. Yes, they, uh, there's an editorial note of, But Brainiac 5, the descendant of the evil Brainiac, has always been a heroic youth. Is it possible his good deeds were all pretense? Which just seems racist against the green man. So it cuts to him working on something in his lab as the rest of the superheroes go to visit Superman in his glass chamber of death. And Supergirl goes to destroy a planet that has escaped its own <laughs> orbit and will eventually sometime in the distant future hit Earth. I, I don't believe that for a second, Corey. 
I think just in his Kryptonian chemo brain state, Superman just wanted to get one even with the universe by killing a planet that had done nothing to him. Destroy my planet, will ya, space? Supergirl destroys said planet by slamming it into another uninhabited planet. And then we get just a big silent panel of it exploding, which I'm pretty sure is just reused clip art of Krypton exploding. Yeah, just recolored red instead of green. And from his glass death chamber, Superman sees a hideous explosion in the night sky and thinks, Good! Good! That red star is the funeral pyre of a threat to Earth. And then he's thinking about how an even greater menace to the future is a cloud of fungus in distant space. And they think about how to deal with it. And oh my god, James. So, the Superman Emergency Squad... And Crypto. And Crypto. And the Superman Robots in the Legion of Superheroes. And not the Justice League, because they were getting dry-humped by Starro somewhere. They all go into a mine, <laughs> take raw ore, smelt it into iron blocks, fly the iron blocks into an abandoned field where they combine them into a giant iron pyramid... Then Cosmic Boy carries the pyramid into space. Using his magnetic powers. His cosmic magnetic powers. And wraps it around the Earth in a ring like Saturn. And Lightning Lad electrophiles them. And then Cosmic Boy uses his magnetic powers to draw the ring further and further out so that it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it goes right into the fungus cloud. And the electrical charge destroys the deadly fungus. In what I can only assume is Superman's final prank. They return to Earth, and actually, Superman's last prank is that he wants to make Antarctica a fit place for millions to live in the future. <laughs> so, as Supergirl's talking to Sunboy about this, Superman has broken out of his glass chamber just no. in time to see... <laughs> Superman's escaped! <laughs> Just in time to see that Lois has fainted because she hasn't eaten or slept for days while she's been watching him. So Superman decides to use his remaining strength to leave the desert. On a sad Hulk walk. It's a very, very incredible Hulk. And when Jimmy notices he's gone, just muses to himself, Where could Superman have gone? He was so reluctant to burden us with his troubles. Has he just left to die by himself? And that is like the third time so far in this story someone's noticed Superman missing and assumed he just curled up under a porch to die like a diseased possum. Like, oh, we're just going to be cleaning out the garbage next week and find Superman there. Meanwhile, Supergirl has headed back to the future to seek out Brainiac 5, and she finds him in his laboratory trying to find a cure for Virus X, but failing, and that is... The end of the second part of the story, and we head into the ultimate chapter of the story, Superman's last day of life. Now, over the craggy wilderness, Jimmy Olsen is searching in his Olsen copter for the last trace of Superman. Meanwhile, in the Antarctic, Supergirl and her Superman robots are forming a gigantic ball of, what is that, like stone? Yeah, it's just rock. <laughs> Which she has Sunboy ignite. Using his super sun powers. And 
turns it into a small sun that will gradually melt all of Antarctica's ice. Supergirl and Sunboy responsible for global warming, everybody. No, Supergirl, think of the polar bears. It's, it, now, now it just looks like Superman wants to make sure that planet Earth does not survive any longer than he is. Right. If Superman has to die, so goes the Earth. I'm taking you all with me like a pharaoh. Jimmy Olsen was unsuccessful in trying to find his friend, who has apparently walked far enough to get out of the desert, and has come across a small village with a medieval castle. Which we're told is Smallville. <laughs> wow, Smallville has really suffered ever since uh, Streaky and Crypto went back in time and the Nazis won World War II. <laughs> Third Reich just set up a small Germanic village there. Superman remembers his family life with Ma and Pa Kent and his history of lying to women with Lana and Lois Lane. Such good times. Then he thinks about Lila Lerol of Doomed Krypton, who he loved and lost when he went back in time to his birth world. <laughs> Just as a casual aside, like, no big deal. I, it's really disturbing to think that if Superman developed full-on dementia, there'd be no way to know, because he's Superman. Hey, did I ever tell you kids about the time when I time-traveled back to the Civil War and became Abraham Lincoln? It all started when Jesus appeared to me in the shower. Oh, Grandpa Superman. So, he decides that he has to go make his other goodbyes, and he starts in Gotham City with Batman and Robin. And they have the most Batman and Superman <laughs> goodbye imaginable. Superman, do you need us for some mission? No, not this time. I was just passing by and thought I'd speak to you. You and Robin have been wonderful friends, Batman. We had some great exploits together, didn't we? Well, I have to get along now. He moved so shakily, so unlike himself, and he looked pale, exhausted. Robin, I'm afraid. It sounded to me as though Superman was saying goodbye. And with one last desperate dying strength, Superman launches himself into space to write a farewell message to the world on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Superman writes, do good to others, and every man can be a Superman. Signed, Superman, parentheses, Clark Kent. <laughs> so, Superman flies back down to his death chamber, just in time for Jimmy Olsen to run up to him, and he wishes he could say goodbye to Monel, but his friend Lori, the telepathic mermaid, is too busy with the task he gave her to contact him. <laughs> so we cut to that task, which is... Battling a kaiju. Yeah. Lori and Supergirl and Crypto and the Superman emergency squad fighting some giant sea beast. Which that... Superman had just left there to deal with when he felt like it. And how Supergirl deals with it is by injecting it with a serum that shrinks it back to its normal size. And at and that it, last... Then it proceeds to devour the Superman emergency squad. Oh, I really didn't think this through, did I? So they all get back to Superman's death chamber and watch as Jimmy Olsen is standing over his dying friend. And Supergirl finally gets an idea of, well, Superman's gone back in time to Krypton before... Why can't I do that and see if I can find the scientist who was trying to cure Virus X? 
So she does, and she overhears him talking about how he found a cure to Virus X, and it's element 202, but that element is fatal to human beings, so he will use it to destroy the sample of Virus X that he has and give up the hopeless search. So Supergirl disheartedly goes back to her time to tell everybody that there is no cure. Because she certainly didn't have anything important to share with Krypton while she was back there. Then Superman gets the wild idea that, well... He destroyed the sample, so how could I catch it? And somebody is trying to contact Saturn Girl telepathically, and it happens to be Monel, the good Monel, not the version that is on TV Supergirl. <laughs> and Monel has been watching all of this from the Phantom Zone and just saying, "You idiots!" Seriously, look, look at his expression on that panel, just sticking his hands out like, "What? What is this? What the hell am I looking at here?" And he explains that it is not Virus X. It's a small chunk of kryptonite that when Superman chucked the boulder at the green kryptonite casket, it broke off a small chunk and into Jimmy Olsen's camera case. So every time Superman is near Jimmy Olsen, it has made him get weak. And every time he leaves Jimmy, he feels better. I mean, that's how most people normally feel about Jimmy, so he didn't know anything was amiss. And that's when Superman destroys the kryptonite, and realizes, oh, shoot, I left a goodbye message in the moon where it, <laughs> oh, <laughs> where no. it reveals my secret identity to the world. And the clouds will clear away soon, so all of Earth will see it, because, you know, clouds were covering the entire planet. Well, Guatemala was very confused by that strange writing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Superman, Supergirl, and Crypto burn out the last part of... <laughs> the message, but leave the rest. So in the Silver Age Superman universe, the moon is forever disfigured with <laughs> Superman's last words. With his own version of a motivational work poster. They'll see it every night and know that they too can be like me. I would love to see like an O'Neill Adams Batman story where the moon is shining atmospherically above the skyline of Gotham City. And that message from Superman is still... <laughs> Because that was on there until Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right? So we get another Tootsie Roll Pop advertisement. Superman's alive! Celebrate with a Tootsie Roll. And that brings us to the next issue, which is Action Comics number 293, also from October of 1962, written by Leo Dorfman, art by Jim Mooney, and a cover by Swan and Klein. And the issue's title is The Secret Origin of Supergirl's Super Horse. The cover is Supergirl riding Comet and Superman being confused at the horse that is invulnerable to kryptonite and still able to fly and do other things. I have to say, I'm very perplexed by the constant insistence in these stories that what makes Comet so special is that he's immune to kryptonite and not that he is a sentient talking f***ing horse. <laughs> I mean, we're all invulnerable to kryptonite. Does that make us super? Yes, James, it does. Linda, again, has a dream of Comet helping her rescue people by clearing shipping lanes, and she wakes up and she's still at the Dude Ranch, so she realizes that her dream is actually a reality. That sign really was a statue. <clears throat> and she looks out the window just in time to see Comet flying back to the horse den, where he meets up with Black Beauty... Some random regular brown horse, and what looks to be a cross between a horse and a Dalmatian with red spots. 
Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with that horse. I think it has a disease or something. <laughs> Which seems like the kind of operation Mr. Greed would be running. Right. So, as they go down to the corral, Linda asks Mr. Greed what's going on, and he tells her that they are trying to brand and shoe Comet, but nobody has ever made him stand still except for her. And she thinks to herself that nobody can drive a nail into his hoof to shoe him, and nobody can brand him because he's invulnerable. But she's like, I can do it. So what she does is she melts the shoe or the horseshoe around his hoof instead of nailing it in. (laughs) Which just seems more cruel. And instead of branding him, she kicks up enough smoke to hide what she's doing and uses her lipstick and heat vision (laughs) so that it will temporarily brand him with the Supergirl logo. While Super Horse horse laughs and grins. And after she has done this, she asks if she can take him for a gallop. And so she does and has him fly her places and finds out that he has telepathy. As many horses do. And he tells her his origin story. No, I was not always as you see me now. Once long ago in ancient Greece, I was a centaur named Byron. Okay, now pause, because I don't want us to glaze over this fact. Comet the Super Horse is a dude. So we see our introductory panel of Centaur Byron, just a muscular blonde guy with a bow and arrow and the lower body of a horse. He is a dude. Look up at the top of the page. Supergirl using her vision to brand her logo on his ass... While he grins and laughs. Let the fact that Super Horse is a guy, just a regular guy with horse legs, color every previous interaction with these two. Him invading her dreams to show off how stunning and virile he is. Jesus, James! (laughs) So, he tells her that he fell in love with the sorceress Circe. You know, the the witch who is well-known throughout Greek history for turning dudes into animals. And she's really lowballing getting involved with him. Just He's a 50-50 job. And one day he saw an evil wizard pour, er, about to poison the well that she drinks out of. So he shoots the poison out of his hand, and he asks Cersei... Er, Cersei tells him that she will grant him one wish... And he wishes for her to turn him into a human being. So she gives him a potion, and we get an Animorph sequence. (laughs) Something's happening. My face is changing, growing longer, heavier. Yeah, it's Corey's not exaggerating. It's just an Animorph's cover without the hologram. Because she had given him the wrong potion, so he turns into a horse. But to make up for it, she gives him another potion that will give him the might of Jove and the speed of Mercury and the wisdom of Athena and the telepathic powers of Neptune, king of the sea. You made up that last one. (laughs) (laughs) Just because Aquaman has telepathy doesn't mean Neptune did. So he drinks the potion, and sure enough, he has all of these powers, including flight. And we cut to Maldor, the evil magician, 
who laments that he had switched the vials so that Byron would turn into a horse instead of a man. And Cersei has spoiled his revenge by giving him superpowers instead of just making him be a regular horse. So Maldor visits an evil soothsayer who tells him that by sprinkling a certain powder in this box on Byron and reading a magic spell, it will exile Byron to the constellation Sagittarius forever. No! Because that's how constellation works. They are one set location and, you know, not a cluster of stars millions of miles apart from each other. But because this is comic books, he does just that. And Comet is marooned to a far-off asteroid. Until one day... A strange missile with a girl inside approaches his rock, and it comes close enough to his rock that it breaks the magic aura that imprisoned him, and he's able to escape back to Earth. Oh, after he goes back to Earth, he's captured with a wild horse herd and taken to the ranch, and he decides to go with them lest he reveal his horse identity. So as he's finishing his story, um, the a bunch of other people show up led by Supergirl's dad because they got worried about her. So they find her and take her back to the dude ranch where she participates in a ranch rodeo where she jumps over 12 barrels. Wow, comic books. And is able to command him to do all sorts of awesome tricks with her telepathy. And then she sees with her telescopic vision aliens attacking Seattle. Oh, run, Fraser. It's the same aliens that were in her first dream with Comet, and learning nothing from her dream, she notices that their ship is lined with lead, but still recklessly dives through it and is caught by its... What? Surprise, Kryptonite! Which really shouldn't be a surprise at this point. You got a premonition about it. Right. Expected kryptonite! So she starts falling to her death and is once again rescued by Comet, who once again kicks the spaceship into space, and Superman oversees it and notices that Comet is invulnerable to kryptonite, and then he fixes the space needle, and people are enamored with Supergirl and her super horse. I should point out, Superman remarks to himself on the amazement he feels over Comet, and then just leaves without saying a single thing to either of them, because he has stuff to do. Well, just staying here to justify my cameo on the cover. Superman away! So, Comet laments that he still wishes he could be human, and Supergirl regretfully tells him that not even her superpowers can break a magic spell. And Comet laments that there is a way to do it, but he can't tell her right now because the time is not right. So they head back to the Dude Ranch, where the owner of the Dude Ranch has replaced the cape on the Supergirl statue sign. Thank God. And as the issue ends, Mr. Greed sells Comet to an animal trainer from Hollywood with a pencil-thin mustache and weird eyebrows. So he must be on the up-and-up. And Linda tells Superhorse that no matter what, he mustn't use his powers to break loose. Because no one must know that he is secretly Super Horse. Even though he has no real connection to actual Linda Danvers, so it wouldn't be spoiling her secret identity or anything. But Corey, if his enemies were to find out that Super Horse was actually a horse, all of his horse loved ones would be in danger. Horse danger! <laughs> and so 
The issue ends with a caption box of, Will Supergirl be reunited with Comet again? See next issue for another story of the Super Stallion. Way to uh, bury the lead there. <laughs> that brings us to the next issue, which is Action Comics number 294. Uh, November 1962 was the cover date. Uh, Leo Dorfman and Jim Mooney were once again the creative team. And the title of the story is The Mutiny of Superhorse. At last, Superhorse is finally welcomed into the Superman family by betraying Supergirl. It's true. It's true. That's how you get in. And we open right where the last issue ended with uh, Mr. Carver taking Comet to Hollywood and Supergirl lamenting that they only had a short time together and asks if she can take him on one last ride. And as she goes on that one last ride, we're once again treated to Comet's origin that we learned the previous issue. And I'm really surprised that they had the restraint not to double down on origins and show us Krypton exploding again. Because that would have filled up, like, five pages. However, we do get the same Animorph sequence, <laughs> again, of Byron turning into a horse face. It's all in your mind. They rescue a cable car that was transporting passengers between mountaintops, I guess? At the Dude Ranch for mountaintop horsing. So they rescue it. And people cheer her and Superhorse, and then Linda and her family go home. And weeks later, Linda sees that Comet has been cast in a movie with one of the leading ladies of the time, Liz Gaynor. And Superman comes by and tells her that Von Lutz, the famed director, is filming a science fiction movie, and he wants her as an advisor. And that he's promised to give her salary away to a charity. Well, if it's for free... So, she heads to Africa where they're filming. Just random, unnamed African country. You know the one. It's got that zebra. And the movie is, in fact, a movie about Superhorse starring Comet, who is actually Superhorse. <laughs> it's like that time that Supergirl starred in a movie about Supergirl. The film industry works fast in the Superman universe. And, uh, they're using special effects to make Superhorse fly. And by special effects, we mean Supergirl's powers. Well, it's a, an amazing, uh, double bluff where Superhorse is actually using his powers to do things while Supergirl pretends to be doing it herself. And I just have to wonder, how low budget are these movies? <laughs> As we see in the next panel, they're throwing actual spears at Superhorse and relying on Supergirl to melt the edges as they fly so they don't kill him. Then in the next panel, she's running the craft service table and cooking their hot dogs and cooling their drinks. So what exactly is the budget of films that Supergirl isn't the special effects team on? And craft services team. But thank God they're giving all of her salary to charity. Charity. They're giving it to the director's girlfriend, Charity. <laughs> So, the next panel is a bunch of cavemen. Because <laughs> this throwing, is a weird-ass Supergirl movie. Throwing spray-painted green rocks at Comet because they're fake kryptonite. And Supergirl giggles to herself that kryptonite doesn't actually affect Comet because he's not from Krypton. Ha <laughs> ha, stupid Earth meets. And then... <laughs> 
because they are filming on color film, they decided that they need to use a chunk of real kryptonite because it will better show the effects on Super Horse. I guess that's where the rest of the budget went to procuring this kryptonite for one close-up because shining a light behind a rock painted green would be too much effort. So after they film the one scene with the real kryptonite, he hires two uh, grips to dispose of the kryptonite in the quicksand of the jungle. And they get close to the quicksand and decide they don't want to get too close, so they'll just dump the lead box where it is. <laughs> and they dump it, and it opens, and the kryptonite tumbles out just right by the quicksand's edge. And one of the grips is like, eh, Supergirl will never come by here anyway. No need to worry about it. Well, the way it's arranged with the kryptonite at the bottom by the quicksand and the giant box perched above it on a rock, it just looks like they're creating some kind of Jimmy Olsen trap. Oh, look, something dangerous I shouldn't touch. Oh, no, there's a box on me. Let me out. Let me out. Superman, let me out. Superman. So... Liz Gaynor and Comet are going off on a ride into the jungle, and Supergirl is insanely jealous, and watches them from afar as they come near the crypt er, the kryptonite in the quicksand. And suddenly Supergirl has a little bit more to worry about than some other harlot cutting in on her Mr. Ed action. As she falls to the ground, irradiated by the lazy kryptonite. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and falls into the quicksand. She calls out telepathically for Comet to save her, and at the same time an alligator appears out of nowhere, and Liz calls out to Comet vocally to save her. And we get the hardest decision we would ever have to make in the Telltale Games Supergirl experience. Yeah, whether to save Supergirl or to save random movie actress. And Comet goes and saves random movie actress by killing the, uh... The alligator by breaking its back with his hooves. Brutally, too. It's horrifying. Supergirl sinks and then realizes that as she has sank, she's gotten far enough away from the kryptonite so that she can do her normal, everyday, favorite activity and burrow through the earth. Then she reunites with Liz and Comet and tells... Liz that she understands and realizes that Comet saved Liz because he knew that as she sank, she would be immune to the kryptonite and would be able to get away from it. And she goes to chastise Comet with asking him why he didn't send her a telepathic message. As I often ask my pets. Then takes him for a ride and they get to the edge of a cliff and Comet refuses to fly, and then plummets almost to his doom before Supergirl saves him. And Supergirl is very confused because he has stopped talking to her and refuses to use his superpowers. Then the director approaches and tells her that filming is almost finished and she can return to her regular duties of saving the entire universe, and he will send her check to the community chest. Her worries not eased at all by these random acts of charity. Supergirl goes to the Fortress of Solitude, where she cries on the shoulder of Daddy Superman, telling him of her boyfriend's betrayal, I mean her horse's betrayal. So Superman uses his telescopic vision to monitor Comet's activity. And it turns out Comet's been eating some magical water lilies, 
that Superman has in his collection of weird drugs and poisons. That's actually a line. I believe I have one of them in my collection of weird drugs and poisons. And I don't know which collection unnerves me the most, Superman's drugs or his poisons. But I am fascinated by the fact that they specifically went for water lilies. And even bring them up that they uh, are the same lilies that Odysseus and his men ate in the Odyssey whenever they forgot their identity. So somebody remembered junior high literature. That makes Supergirl realize that the reason he doesn't use his superpowers is because Comet has forgotten that he has them. So she tries to shock Superhorse back to normal and does so by... <laughs> She, using her limited knowledge of what is or isn't a statue, carves a statue out of mountain rock of Comet in his centaur form and shouts, Yes, this statue of a centaur should shock you back into the world of reality. Remember, you were a centaur once. While Comet looks flabbergasted, and all I could think is, this would be an amazing prank to pull on a normal horse. <laughs> And as that doesn't work, she's like, well, maybe if I put on my wig, you'll recognize me. And he looks even more horrified at this. Oh, no, my tiny horse brain. So he returns to the ranch where Liz Gaynor has adopted Comet after he filmed the movie. Then we cut to days later as Supergirl and her family are attending the Comet the Superhorse movie starring Comet the Superhorse and Liz Gaynor. And Supergirl busts into tears because she's thinking about her Superhorse that she no longer has. And we are treated with a comforting aside from editor Mort Weisinger to ease the minds of all the young children at home wondering about the stability of Linda's fragile new home. Is this the end of Superhorse? Will the Supersteed ever recover his fantastic superpowers? Will he ever renew his friendship with Supergirl? Watch future issues to find out. Eat a Tootsie Roll. Which brings us to our super female. Dear editor, as someone who is very familiar with horses, I question the incident in your recent story, The Secret Origin of Supergirl's Superhorse, in which Comet jumps over 12 barrows. If Comet did that stunt in front of spectators, everyone would know he's a superhorse and his secret would be out. The fact of the matter is that no ordinary horse can jump over 12 barrels. I know, because I jump horses and I train them to jump. Yours, Claudia Kaysner, Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, you're right, except that these were small barrels. Besides, the, uh, the horse had a tailwind to help him. Get it? <laughs> tailwind. It's, it's funny because it's got the tail, you know, the, the, the horse's ass has the thing hanging off of the, and it's hairy, and it, they use it to swat flies and such, and... There's also the... the, You'll get it when you're older. It's what they call a ride, Homer. (laughs) So the nerve of these kids. (laughs) All right. So that is our episode for this month. We will be getting back to you next month with the introduction of yet another of Supergirl's cast of characters. But I'm not going to spoil it. And as always, you can check me out on several other Pulp Podcast Network shows, including Box Office Pulp and Graphic Novelism. Two shows which are very nice, but unfortunately do not have me doing a throat-destroying Mort Weisinger voice. And you can check me out on at MondoFunky. 
And you can find our show on Twitter at Hour. We actually had a fan comment today telling us that in Injustice 2, Supergirl sasses Atrocitus by telling him that Streaky the Supercat is better than Dexstar the Red Lantern Cat. Yes! Which is amazing, and I love it. I was telling Corey earlier, I'm still waiting to hear from the one incensed Jero the Merboy fan. <laughs> oh man, Jero and Kara for life. And you can also find us on Facebook at Supergirl Power Hour, and you can send us an email to supergirlpowerhour at gmail.com. You can find me personally on Twitter at CoreyMarie21 at 8 p.m. on Monday nights. Pacific time, you'll see me ranting and raving about whatever episode of Supergirl is currently airing on the CW. You will also soon be able to find a monthly article from me on womenwriteaboutcomics.com in which I do more of this talking about the history of Supergirl and her best stories in an article that will be entitled Supergirl 101. The first article should be going up sometime this next month. Oh yeah, if you've ever wanted to see Corey talk at length about her favorite character without me chiming in with dick jokes every few minutes, then you're in luck. And we hope to see you again next month. Stay mighty. Superman die! This has been a Pulp Podcast production. There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself, we now (laughs) have the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? They must. I don't, th- I don't think so. Let's go with, like, Image Odin. Look, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn? He has Angela, who's, like, Lady Hercules. She is, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah. legally say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's Asgardian, I think it's it's fair play, so... Hey, she's not technically Asgardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin. And she has, like, a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. (laughs) (laughs) Bruce, hi. It's, It's me. I just got back on the jets, and I just... I feel awful. And now I'm just sitting here, and... Thinking of all the stuff I should have said and I didn't, I, I mean, I, I didn't even get to tell you that, that I'm your super friend, too. Because of course I am. We're the world's finest. What am I doing? I've got to see you. I, I've got to get off this jet. Oh, my God. Excuse me? Clark, please sit down. I, I need to get off this jet, okay? I, I need to tell someone that I... 
appreciate them as an ally. I can't fly this thing with you moving around. Let him off the jet. Damn it, Diana, you don't understand. Try to understand. Great row, let me... No, no. Oh my God, did he get off the jet? Did he get off the jet? I got off the jet. I respect you as a friend and as a partner. As do I. And I'm never letting you go again. You and me, all right? This is it. Unless we're on a break. <laughs> Get it? Because you broke. I got it, Bruce. Box Office Pulp. Sweeter than Grandma's peach tea. This meeting will come to order. The Legion of Pulp is now in session. In a moment, iTunes. Yes, Quizmotron. I was wondering, Emperor Palpatine, if I could perhaps. Box Office Pulp thinks we need a few items to pawn on the black market. Box Office Pulp Guy, you have a podcast dedicated to movie analysis. Pinhead, your pleasure puzzles are deadly. Isaac, you've... You've got corn! Corn? What more do you need? How about a nuclear warhead? What? All other supervillains have them. With a nuclear warhead, I should leave all of the podcasts to tear themselves apart with paranoia. Box office Pope wants a magic lasso to hang himself with. Can I get a ship in a bottle kit? I demand more corn. To make my own ship in a bottle. Oh, enough of this. The hell do I look like, Santa Claus? We're wasting valuable time. Right now, my Pope drones are rewriting Apple's code to make our podcast number one on iTunes. Excuse me, Emperor. Quizmotron, what is it? All Quizmotron wants is pants. A decent pair of pants. Darth Vader wants pants, too. Order! Order! Tune in next week at hopepodcastnetwork.wordpress.com I don't even know how I deal with any of you on a daily basis.